There you go. It's all you wanted to know right there. All you need to know about psychology right there, right? No. Hopefully, um, well, not hopefully. Well, we're going to learn truthfully, Jesus, uh, Jesus is a little better psychologist than Richard Dreyfus, just for the record, who is in that movie. That's What About Bob, by the way, is the name of the movie, which is, I don't know, I would recommend it, but then you'd know what a sick person I am. So anyway, um, I, I liked it. A lot of things I could relate to. I said, not about Bob, okay? Um, the germ thing I kind of related to a good bit. But anyway, um, um, so is that what it is? We ask a few questions, a few, and listen a little bit, and, is, and, and we're going to be better. Is that, is that what psychology is? Is that what Jesus is teaching? Well, in some cases, certainly questions are very important. And, and uh, not only does a good doctor do that, but so does a good psycholog- psychologist, and so, does, and so did Jesus. Jesus often asked a lot of questions. At the same time, the things that what I'm going to do is I'm going to just pick some different passages from the Gospels, of, from Jesus' words himself, to show you some of the things that Jesus said, which were just not just revolutionary at the time. Last week, our subject was Jesus the revolutionary. And, uh, and really, some of that's going to come out in each, each week as we talk about Jesus, because at the time, it was very revolutionary, very rebellious to the time. So the things that I want to show you just from, I don't know, just three or four different places in the Bible, um, it's going to really show you some pretty deep, insightful stuff about Christ and about life. And it's taken us many, many years to catch up with Jesus in many different ways, and this is one that I'm going to show you. Now, one of the things that I had the opportunity to do, and I wanted to make sure I didn't miss this as I was thinking about this particular study, that, that in particular talk I'd be giving, was that there's this thing that I go to, um, my wife and I go to in the city about once a month, and it's in the program. Uh, it's not, it has nothing to do with Renaissance. Some, some people I know put it on. Uh, it's called uh, Socrates in the City, and uh, it's about once a month, usually, not always, but usually at the University Club right there on Fifth Avenue, and um, just a real, it's a really, uh, a real cool thing. They have different, usually guys that are what we would call intellectuals, um, and I can recognize those guys because I'm not one, and, uh, and they present different, different aspects of the faith. And uh, one guy one night talked about, can you be a scientist and a Christian? And this was the guy who had been a, was a Nobel laureate uh, uh, scientist, biochemist, I think, um, um, Polkinghorne from uh, England. Of course, you know, my theory about that is if you put an English accent on some guy, he sounds smart anyway. So, you know, what, what's the deal with that? I hate to say that with some of my British friends here this morning because I'm sure I'm going to have to eat those words. But, but um, um one guy, though, that I wanted to hear last month was really his name is Dr. Paul Vitz, and he is uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, heads of the psychology department at NYU. And uh, basically, his talk was about psychology and Christ. And I thought, I need to go hear this. And I, took, I took very careful notes because I knew I'd be talking about this. And let me share just a couple of those things with you to kind of get you to think along these lines with me. He's, uh, once again, professor of psychology, NYU, author of a book, couple of books that are excellent. Faith of the Fatherless and the Psychology of Atheism and Psychology as Religion, the Cult of Self, which is an interesting book. Um, And here's some some of his words. Psychology is being taken out of the sciences, according to Dr. Vitz, and it's becoming a humanities discipline. Actually, he says, in some places, it's becoming a subset of theology, which I thought was very interesting. Becoming a subset of theology. Well, I, I think it should be when you think about it. 
But um, and then he, he he made these statements, which 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 I thought were pretty amazing. The new direction of psychology. Psychology, he says, instead of dealing with the past, is now moving toward dealing with the positive attributes, the virtues that will make your life better. Things like like love, forgiveness, gratitude, courage, hope, and faith gave the example that they now even have what is called a forgiveness institute, which is like, wow, that's, (laughs) can I sign a few people up? Um, I mean, that's a tremendous thing. And I I looked a couple of them up online and they do have them. They're pretty interesting. So the whole thing was, as I was listening to this, I was thinking, obviously, kind of formulating in my own mind some of the things that I, that I was going to be talking about this morning. And um, I just find that so fascinating that we see this, this thing that's so important to human life and to people, psychology, psychiatrists, psychologists, and so forth, and how Jesus, in many ways, don't take this the wrong way, but in many ways was the original. And I'm going to show you that. I'm going to show you five simple ways of how Jesus taught relevant psychology in his day, how he taught relevant psychological truth. Very simple. I'm not, again, I'm not claiming to be a psychologist. Um, I'm not. And uh, and I have a high regard for the good ones who are. But just keep that in mind as I I address some of these things. Because in in some ways, I will be addressing it from a a layman's perspective. I'm not a psychologist, but I do pastoral counseling at times and so forth and have had some seminars and teachings and trainings and all that and so forth in school, a little bit about it. So there's, there's just enough there to really uh, tweak and pique my interest. But here are some of those issues, and I just want to go through five of them, very simple, um, of ways that Jesus taught relevant psychological truth. First one is this. Um, he prioritized self-honesty. He prioritized self-honesty. Let me show you that, all right? Prioritized. We have that? Um, I hope we have that for you. I got, I got some things I want you to see with that. Um, okay, here we go. Um, one of the, let me just kind of get you to think along these lines with me. One of the things about this, an old Greek proverb. It's not Bible, but it's a Greek proverb. It goes like this, know thyself. And um, it's a good proverb. Know thyself. We have some other verses in the Bible that kind of address that. Um, so what is that? How did Jesus do that? Let me show you a passage in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to just show you one verse. I'm going to read the verse before it and the verse after it just to kind of give you the context. And, and we'll go from there. Don't put the verse up until I get there. Okay, hey, here we go. Here's how it goes. This is the crisis. This is Jesus talking. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Now watch this. Go ahead. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to, look at this, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. And then you don't have this to look at, but let me just read it to you. But anyone working and living in truth and reality becomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work that it is. That's an interesting verse. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion. By the way, that's in the message paraphrase, excuse me, in the message paraphrase of the Bible, which I'm using exclusively this morning. I use different paraphrases and translations, but I just like the way that uh, Peterson, the main translator, 
uh, did that particular, and, and the other verses that I'm going to show you. Jesus understood the importance of people kind of getting outside of themselves. Without God in our lives, we become self-absorbed, self-delusional, excuse-making people in denial. Without God, we become that. When we come to God and allow His light, this, as it's referred to here, God light, and allow His light to come into our lives, we are better able, first of all, to address whatever issues we may have personally. Can we do that without God? That's a great psychological question. With limits. With limits. From my experience, we can. I don't think we can totally. Because you see, without, without God, we become very self-absorbed people. Sometimes people who do, know, who do know God and have God in their lives and have a relationship with them. Even then, sometimes, you can be just totally self-absorbed people. You've known people like that. I have too. People, quote-unquote, in the church. Big C, maybe even in little C in this church. Or there have been people at times who are just so self-absorbed and self-driven you know, driven and selfish. But without God in our lives, we all become that way in so many different ways. And it becomes deep. So the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus taught, we're going to have, he prioritized self-honesty. Okay? Be honest with yourself. You know, David talked about that even before Jesus in the Old Testament when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any hurtful way in me and reveal it to me. That's some, uh, that's some pretty heavy-duty stuff. Second thing, I keep moving here. I'll get hung up on some of these things. A second way that Jesus practiced good psychology, not only that prioritized self-honesty, he encouraged authenticity, Okay. He encouraged authenticity. Let me show you this. Two different passages that Jesus is talking in Luke. First one comes from Luke chapter 9. It says this, Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it be to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? So we talk about self-help. Jesus says, you need, you need to give up yourself. To get outside, to get outside of yourself. To quit being a selfish, you know, little self-absorbed individual. Show it to you, he puts it in a different way later on in Luke chapter 14. Here's what Jesus is saying. What I'm saying is if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. <laughs> Pretty good verse. If you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more. Jesus, be yourself. Be who you are. But give that to God. That's what he's saying. Give that, give that to God. Um, authenticity gives us the opportunity to realize who we are and bring that to Christ. Right? Um, we cannot give ourselves to Christ when we're so, tr- so busy trying to be somebody that we're not. We've got to deal with that first. That's a great old hymn. Uh, it's... Maybe you'll know it. A, a, few, a few people might know it. There's a great old hymn for those of us who were raised in some of these kinds of churches. There's a great old hymn called Just As I Am. Now, you, if you heard it, you may have If you ever watched a Billy Graham crusade on television, or if you've ever been to one, and by the way, um, he's, the Billy Graham crusade is going to be in the garden in June, Madison Square Garden. And rumor is, it's just a rumor, 
uh, that it might be Billy's last crusade. Um, that's not the case? Okay. I had heard that that might be. I mean, he's 85 years old, folks. But anyway, um, anyway, one of the things that Billy Graham did, whether you like it or not, after every one of his meetings and stadiums and so forth, they sang this hymn called Just As I Am. I just, I go, it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. It goes like this. Just as I am without one plea, P-L-E-A, you know. I come to you, cry. I come to you. And they, and they repeat this all, just as I am, I come, I come. And, 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 and people in those things would, would, would walk down the aisle, and sometimes you would get the impression that people were like, I'm coming to Christ because I'm walking down the aisle, okay? And then many churches for the last 50 years, really for the last 100 years, even before that, um, many churches, particular kinds of churches, they would have what they would call an altar call after the end of the service where pastor would do whatever he's going to do and, and, and talk about that. And then, and then people, he would say, okay, now if you want to respond to God, walk down the aisle and people would walk down the aisle. And, and that was basically, from a minister's standpoint, you kind of determined how successful you were by how many people walked down the aisle, which is really kind of a, I don't really want to play that game. But <laughs> I always said, Number one, if it was really good, I don't want to know it. I don't need to know that. My ego doesn't need that. Number two, if it was really bad, I don't need to know that either. <laughs> but anyway, people would always recite this song, at least in some of the places that I would be. In it. Without, you know, just as I am, without one plea, I come, I come. I'm coming to you. I'm walking to Christ, coming to Christ. Well, here's the key to that whole song that I just love. The author of that hymn was paralyzed and couldn't walk. And, and when, I, when I first read that, it was just like, you know how lights go off, ah! And, and, and the writer of that, of that, really of that poem, which became a song, was saying, in rough English, I ain't got nothing. Whatever I am, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. In her case, I can't even walk. But Lord, I'm coming to you. It's her heart. It's her mind. So we talk about authenticity and, and what Jesus is saying when he's saying, you know, this, this whole thing here. He says, if you're trying to be somebody, you're going to end up flat on your face. Just be yourself and bring that to Christ. That's what he's saying. I'm going to show you another verse that talks about bringing that to Christ in just a moment. So that's why it's authenticity, and Jesus encouraged authenticity. Isn't it interesting that we go through all kinds of, all kinds of gyrations today, and, and, and I have friends who have spent years in therapy, and I'm not being critical, because they, they needed it. They spent years in, in psychological therapy trying to be who they are. Because there's so many demands from people that you love and people who you don't love and from society and, and everyone to be somebody else. Jesus said, just be yourself, you know. All I'm saying is if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. Isn't that a great verse when you think about that? Wow. So, Jesus also encouraged authenticity. Third thing. We're going to move a little deeper now. Something else Jesus did. He warned against unresolved conflict. This is big. This is huge right here. He, he warned against unresolved conflict. Let me show you where he does this in Matthew. It's in the Sermon on the Mount again, chapter 5. We looked at some things in the Sermon on the Mount last week. But look at this. This is chapter 5, verse 23. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. 
If you enter your place of worship, about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. Jesus is warning against the thing that makes some of us just really, you know, really steams some of us. Hypocrisy. That person goes to church every Sunday and they're right there in the front row. I can say that because nobody's in the front row this morning. Uh, They're this and they're that. And yet, look how they treat me. We have this, you know, that's this whole thing. You know, I've been in a few situations in my life. It's amazing um, as a a minister um, where you sometimes will end up in a church, whether it be whether it be in Spain, this especially happened after I left Vail before I came here when I was speaking in different churches, um, where, you know, you would, you'd go talk to people or whatever, especially me. I'd go out and try to and meet people, and, and somebody would grab me, the leader or the pastor, and say, well, you know, those, that person, that person, they don't talk to each other. And I said, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I said, they go to church together? Yeah, they go to church, but they, 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 won't, they won't talk to each other because they're mad because of uh, somebody, you know, did something to them, you know, 15 years ago, and they're still kind of hanging on to that. That is the epitome of what Jesus is talking about here. And he says, how are you going to worship God with that kind of stuff on your heart? Now, does that mean I'm going to be at peace with everybody? The Bible says be at peace with all men so far as it depends on you. That really speaks to, to, to our, a lot of our, our vertical, excuse me, our horizontal relationships with people. That does affect our relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, you better deal with those unresolved conflicts in life because if you don't, it's, it's going to affect your relationship with God. He even discourages, quote-unquote, the giving of stuff, whether that be your life or money or whatever it is. He says, first, take care of those personal issues. Here's the point. Think about this. I'll try not to spend much time on this. You got some unresolved conflicts in your life. Maybe with a parent, maybe with a kid, maybe an adult child, maybe a business partner, former business partner. You know, we could go on through that list, couldn't we? Ex-wife, ex-husband. I'm not saying, nor is the Bible saying, that you need to be best friends. It's not the point. But you can't have unresolved conflicts. Can you have, yeah, will there be points where you will agree to disagree? Absolutely. Will there be thing, people who we will continue to see things differently from? Absolutely. But don't let those unresolved conflicts continue to just build up into your life. This is huge. Um, with the exception of some physical issues, some physical problems, every kind of psychosis, complex, and dysfunction has unresolved conflict written all over. And in some cases, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, or more than a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. In some cases, maybe somebody who's died. How do you deal with that? You deal with that the best way you can. If you'll recall, those of you who were here, I gave the example of a person who, who wrote a letter to the dead person, went to the grave, read it to them, and then burned it. That helped them. And you say, that's kind of weird. Well, it helped. I'm not saying you've got to do that. It helped this person. What I am saying is this. If you've got unresolved conflicts in your life, it will it will crop up somewhere. It will. And you've got to deal with that. 
And we live in a world that, we live in a society that loves to cover up and, and, and cover over and, and, and not deal with it. And, and Jesus from the very, Jesus said, don't do that, man. Don't do that. Deal with your stuff. Might there still be some hard feelings? Yeah, you do. And I'm going to tell you more about that in just a moment. Um, one of the verses that I gave a few weeks ago when I talked about that, I'm just going to hit it real quick, comes uh, what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Ephesians. Let me show it to you. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, um, Don't sin by letting anger... Do I have that? I don't have that, sorry. Um, I'll just read it to you. Don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. And then he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And what he's saying is, obviously, is don't let this stuff just continue to build and build and build. Deal with it, right? And here's the issue. For some of you, it may be the person sitting beside you. You know, it might be your husband or your wife and some stuff that you've covered over for years that you haven't dealt with. Deal with that. Why? Well, because it's going to affect your relationship with God. It's also going to affect your relationship with others, whether you know it or not. And that's, um, that's an important issue. Don't, don't miss that. So Jesus, what did Jesus do? Prioritized self-honesty. He encouraged authenticity. He warned against unresolved conflict. Last two things, very quickly, although they're very important. He taught the importance of forgiveness. You knew that was coming up, didn't you? Let me show you from Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus talking. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. Whoa. They're connected. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. One writer, one English writer said this, forgiveness is almost a selfish act because of its immense benefits to the one who forgives. Hmm, so true website that I go to frequently and just read some of the stuff. It's called reallivepreacher.com. I'll show it to you. They said this on here one day. It really doesn't matter if the person who hurt you deserves to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. You have things to do. You want to move on. That's so true, isn't it? (laughs) One theologian, Fuller Theological Seminary guy, I put it this way. His name is Smeeds. You You will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. I like that. Because, you see, I know the feeling also. You know it, don't you? To think about those who've hurt you and think, yeah, God, get them. And you hear something bad happen to them, you go, yeah. You know that forgiveness has begun in your life when you recall those who hurt you and you can feel the power to wish them well. I I remember that day and place a couple of times when finally I had power over that, that had just just haunted me over some people that had hurt me. But that's a freeing thing. You know, the other thing is work. This is where you just push it around, you just push it around, you carry it around, you know, and the old old saying, you know, that, you know, I... He's got a lot of baggage. Some, some people got enough baggage, they need a U-Haul truck to carry it around. You know? And some people are doing that, figuratively speaking. And Jesus says, you know, don't do that. Jesus says, in prayer there is a connection be- between what God does and what you do. 
You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. Those who have been forgiven the most should be able, should be able, and they can by God's power, to forgive the most. And that's an important issue. Jesus taught the importance of forgiveness, and that's huge. Last thing, I want to close with this. Jesus understood the concept and the cure of burnout. We didn't even have the term back then. Burnout, fairly new word. I mean, last 20, 25 years. A little more than that, but it became more popular the last 20 or 25 years. And before I show you what Jesus says about burnout, let me show you what, what one of the people who was one of the great psychologists say. Okay? Freud. What does Freud say? Watch this. A man should not strive. This is so good. A man should not strive to eliminate his complexes, but to get in accord with them. They are legitimately what directs his conduct to the world. First of all, I don't agree with Freud. I want you to know that. I don't agree with Freud. There are many things he's very good on. That's not one of them, and there's many other things. But let me show you what Jesus says, because what Jesus says, and you've heard me quote this passage before, it's just, it's just so important. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, and he goes back to everything we've been talking about. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Hmm. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Okay? Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, come to me. If you're burdened and if you're heavy, heavy, weighted, weighted down heaviness, whether it be religion or something else, that's what Jesus is about. He understood this whole thing. That's why Jesus came. That's why he suffered. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. That we could have a relationship with God. We could have a relationship with Jesus. And so that we could understand this whole thing of, of coming to Christ. And, and I, I just, I love that passage so much. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus understood that, and he offers that to all of us. We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask the guys to come on up now, uh, and, and I want them to sing a song for us uh, as they get ready. We're going to pray. Because this, this song, sometimes we get in those situations where this song is called Sleepless Night. I've had a few of those. And, and this song talks about how we have those, what you do with that, and, and how that works. And Jesus tells us there's really only one thing to do, and that's just to come to him. Come to him. So let's pray, and then Char and the group's going to sing for us, all right? Uh, Lord God, we are grateful. We are grateful for these truths. And I just, I thank you so much, Lord, that just my own life, and I know many others here as well, that we understand the truthfulness and the meaningfulness of this and what it means to come to you, to get burned out on all the doing and the not doing and, and, and people hurting us and betraying us and backing out of deals on us and all the other kinds of things that can happen. And the Lord, we can still come to you, even on those sleepless nights. We thank you for Jesus, how you have loved us in spite of ourselves and all that you're doing in our lives because of that. 
even here. So we thank you for that. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.